You maybe have never heard of Robert Watson Watt, but you owe him a a debt of gratitude. He is the man who invented radar, and he developed that technology to help planes see when it's cloudy or dark or whatever, but it, it was developed just in time to help England win the Battle of Britain against the Nazis in World War II. His invention allowed uh, the British to see those Nazi bombers coming before they arrived and scramble uh, airplanes, fighter jets into the air. and, And they won the Battle of Britain because, largely, because of Watson Watts' invention. He was knighted. He is Sir Robert Watson Watt. But years later, he he moved to the United States and he came face to face with another use for his invention when he was pulled over for the first time for his very first speeding ticket by a police officer toting his brand new radar gun. And apparently he told the officer, Had I known what you were going to do with radar, I would have never invented it. And then he wrote, also with tongue-in-cheek, the following poem. He wrote, Pity Sir Robert Watson Watt, strange target of this radar plot, and thus with others I can mention the victim of his own invention. His magical all-seeing eye enabled cloud-bound planes to fly, But now, by some ironic twist, it spots the speeding motorist and bites, no doubt with legal wit, the hand that once created it. That is kind of a funny example of something we want to talk about today, reaping what you have sown. Does that concept, sowing and reaping, planting and then harvesting. What goes around comes around. Does that concept still hold in an economy of grace? What I mean is, in this book of Galatians that we've been studying for some time and we will finish next week, we've we've studied this message that Paul is defending in this book. Paul used to travel around and share this amazing but scandalous message that he once summarized this way. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So Paul, he taught this message that what makes, what causes you to be justified before God. And we studied the word justification, which means It can be thought of as what causes someone to change the way they view something. So if God looks at you and sees you as a sinner, unworthy of eternal life, what causes him to change that way he sees you is not when you improve. It's not when you quit sinning. It's when you believe that Jesus suffered under the punishment you deserve for your sins. Just faith alone is this free gift of God's grace. To the Ephesians, Paul wrote it this way. Actually, we'll get there. We'll get there. 
I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm excited this morning. Does sowing and reaping in an economy of grace, is that still a concept that holds any water? Do we still reap what we sow? Well, for sure, if you have been redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, if you've been declared righteous, justified by that free gift of God's grace He promises to give to all those who believe, there are some things you will never reap. You will never, not for one second, for the rest of your life and for all of eternity, be separated from the love of God that you have in Christ Jesus. You will never face punishment or condemnation from God for your sins. You never have to worry about hell and eternal punishment. But this morning as we we finish the body of this great letter, Paul is going to state that this law of sowing and reaping still stands. Let's read read our passage and see why or how this can be true. This is Galatians uh, chapter 6, the last chapter of the book. We're going to read verses 6 through 10. It reads this way in the New American Standard Bible. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. There's our passage this morning. We're going to skip verse 6 for a few minutes, because the main idea of today's passage is summed up in just the first half of verse 7, where Paul writes this, Do not be deceived. God is not or cannot be mocked. As Paul traveled around and preached this amazing message of the gospel, that to the Ephesians, he worded this way, for it's by grace that you have been saved already through faith. It's not anything you have done yourselves. It's a gift from God, not the result of any works you have done so that no one can boast. That's, that's another summary of Paul's message. As Paul traveled around and told people, you can obtain eternal life by doing exactly nothing. What were the arguments Paul always heard in response to that message? He always heard people say things like this. No way, Paul. It can't be that. Can't be that easy. To which we should always respond with this question. Easy for whom? Because if 
salvation, eternal life. This is indeed a gift, like the Bible says it is in multiple places. You know the crazy thing about a gift? It's not that hard to receive a gift. There is some ease to the gospel because it's a gift. If it's not a gift, if there are strings attached, then it's not grace. So my salvation was very easy for me. But my salvation was not easy, kids. It was extremely costly to the person who actually accomplished it. It was incredibly costly. Uh, Yes, it's easy for me. I didn't do anything. The only thing I did in the, in the equation of my salvation is I provided the sin that made it necessary I be rescued by the gift. And Jesus Christ did everything necessary for me to be rescued from my sin. And Paul always heard this argument. We still hear it today. It can't be that easy. It's not easy for the one who did the work. A related argument, Paul often heard would go something like this. So you are telling me, Paul, that I can believe in what Jesus did on the cross and then whatever sin I sin later on, I still have eternal life. Do you know what the answer to that question is? It's yes. It's yes. That's really hard for us to understand and sometimes hard to believe. Now that's not to say everyone who understands the story of the cross and the empty tomb and that Jesus died instead of sinners, everyone who understands that has not received the gift of eternal life. That's very important to understand. You can understand why Jesus went to the cross and never have accepted that for yourself. But, be that as it may, if you have accepted that for yourself, your future sin cannot undo the salvation you did not earn to begin with. You didn't get a declaration of righteousness because you're actually unrighteous. So future unrighteousness cannot mess it up because that wasn't part of the, of the deal to begin with. Doesn't that sound though, doesn't that sound like a system that could be easily abused? It's okay to be honest. You're in church. Doesn't that sound like God has created a system whereby God is going to be taken advantage of? That people are going to abuse that grace, pull one over on God? It might. That's why Paul wrote this paragraph. Because Paul, if, if you have that concern, Paul wants you to hear something. Paul wants you to hear this. Hey, don't be deceived. God is not going to be mocked. God's going to be just fine. Don't worry about God. When you feel like it cannot work this way, 
Because if it works this way, then God is being made fool of. Which Paul wants you to hear this. No, he's not. (laughs) Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Paul apparently heard this argument. What you're saying, Paul, is people can sow to their own flesh and still reap eternal life. Paul says, don't worry about this system. If it's true, it's true. Depend upon it. But how many of us have abused God's grace? You ever think things like, well, he's got to forgive me. I'm not the only one, right? Paul wants us to know God did not create a system by which he is hoodwinked, taken advantage of. And there are a few reasons. One reason it's not in the text so much today, but one reason this is true that grace does not mean God is being, having the wool pulled over his eyes by my future sin, is this. We, we feel like that's true partly because I don't think we really can understand the massive price of justice that has already been paid for all of our sin. See, we feel like Grace can't work that way because that person who does that despicable thing needs to pay. And you know what? The reason we feel that way is because that's true. That's what justice requires. That's what the cross is for, though. Justice was absolutely secured and served and carried out, just not on the sinner. But God is not being taken advantage of when we run around sinning, even when we are forgiven, because God is completely satisfied with the amount of his wrath that he already poured out for that very sin. It seems unreasonable to us because we live in time, right? We think, well, yeah, but my next sin I've already been forgiven now, but my next sin, surely I can't just get away away with that. God is outside of time. God is completely satisfied with the amount of punishment with which your sin has already been punished, O sinner. If you've accepted the free gift of, of His grace, through Christ. We still struggle with believing we have to somehow earn this, deserve this, when we don't and we can't. God is not being taken advantage of by my continued sin because justice has been served. Another reason God is not taken advantage of by my continued sin is because of the purpose for which we are saved. 
Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 1. We are saved. We're rescued. We're going to be glorified someday to the praise of His glorious grace. Never for one second is anyone going to be in heaven because they were good enough to get there. And man, I made it because, man, you should have seen how much better I got while I was down there. We are going to be there to make God look gracious. So don't be deceived. God's not being mocked by grace. He knows what he's doing. But there's another reason why we should not be deceived. We should not think we can get ahead by abusing God's grace. There's another side to this argument. Another reason why grace does not mean that God's being outwitted when we accept his grace comes in the second half of this verse. Paul says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. People reap what they sow. I know it is tempting to believe. Man, if grace is true, I I can just sin whatever sin I feel like sinning. God has to forgive me. And in, in this way, I can have literally the best of both worlds. Right? I can live however I feel like would be best down here and I still get what God will prove is best up there. Paul would say, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. People still reap what they sow. Just because there are certain things you will never reap for the sins you have sown on this earth the ones I already talked about. That does not mean all consequences of sin don't happen on this earth because they do. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. We tend to reap what we sow. This is taught repeatedly throughout the scriptures, both testaments, obviously here in the New Testament. If we go backward in the Old Testament, we see this is just true. This is it's what, what God built into what's called natural law, the way the world works. And I know you can think of, of, of exceptions where this person who seemed like a pretty good person had a really bad, or this other person who's a real jerk and seems to have it all, but you don't know the whole story. People reap what they sow. It's just a general truth of life. God uh, told Israel uh, once, you, if you sow the wind, you're going to weep, reap the whirlwind. Right? You plant worthlessness, you should expect a harvest of worthlessness. Haggai, I have, I have kind of an unnatural love for the book of, of Haggai. Um, quickly, the story of, of Haggai is... Israel, because of unfaith, they had planted unfaithfulness under the law. God uh, used the Babylonians to rip them out of the promised land, send them into captivity in Babylon. Years later, God transplants them back to Jerusalem and gives them their first job. Go back there and build my temple. But that's not what their first job was when they got back there. They started building their own homes, their own little kingdoms taking care of themselves. 
And in chapter 1, through the prophet Haggai, God said this, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your finely paneled houses while my house lies desolate? The answer to that question is no. So God says, now therefore, here's what's going to happen. Consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothes, but no one's warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to be put into a purse with holes. Do you hear what God is saying? You guys are having a rough time down there, aren't you? Seem like stuff's kind of falling apart, doesn't it? You know why? Because you reap what you've sown. Proverbs, book of wisdom, general truth of how life works. It begins with the main character at the beginning of Proverbs is wisdom. The narrow path, what God says is best. Wisdom is personified as a teacher. And look how the sort of the body of the book gets going. Wisdom calls out in the streets. This is Proverbs chapter 1. And wisdom says, how long will you simpletons love being so naive? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If only you will respond to my wisdom's rebuke, then wisdom will pour out her thoughts to you and and, and make her words known to you. Verse 24, however, because wisdom called and you refused to listen, Because wisdom stretched out her hand, but no one paid attention. Because you neglect all of the wise advice that God gave, and you didn't comply with my rebuke. So I myself, wisdom says, I will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when what you dread comes. When what you dread comes like a whirlwind and disaster strikes you like a devastating storm. When distressing trouble comes on you, wisdom will what? Laugh. The concept that is generally true that people reap what they sow is alive and well. Just because there are some consequences of sin I may never face by the wonderful grace of God does not mean I am getting away with being unwise, with ignoring what God says is best. You know, God didn't tell us the best way to live because my ability to live according to the best way gets me to heaven someday. That's not true. But God did tell me the best way to live so that A, I would primarily understand I need saved from my inability to do that well, but B, so I would know the best way to live. It's not, I I thought for years and years that God was the fun sucker in the sky, right? If I lived the way he wanted me to, I was going to be lame, right? And I am, but it's not God's fault, right? God tells us the best way to live because God knows what's actually best. And you can believe that or choose to not believe that, but it's true. 
Everything else Paul says in this passage is just him sort of hashing out this idea. Don't get twisted on this. You're not getting away with anything. You're going to reap what you sow. Which is why Paul writes, verse 8, Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. God's not going to be mocked, outwitted. The law of reaping and what we sow is still binding. And so Paul says, if you just sow to your flesh, well, what's that mean? Fortunately for us, Paul's already told us. In fact, Paul said sowing to your flesh is obvious. You want to know what it looks like? Glance back in chapter 5. The acts, the work, how you sow to your flesh is obvious. It looks like sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and other stuff like that. Paul says, if you sow that stuff in your life, please don't think you're getting away with it. He says you should expect a harvest of, this, this uh, translation says destruction. The one I read a minute ago says corruption. This is an extremely awful word. The Greek word is phthora, which is a fun one to say, but it's a terrible word to think about. It's a particularly disgusting word. It is the word for what happens to a body, human or otherwise, if you leave it out in the sun day after day after day after day. You know what happens to it? Destruction, corruption, that sort of rot. You know, um, the accepted, we'll call it a dictionary, lexicon of biblical Greek, uh, the definition entry actually has the word maggots in the definition. I can't, I didn't read the whole dictionary, but there can't, I read that one. There can't be very many times that the biblical dictionary has the word maggots in it. That's the word Paul chose for those of us who think we're getting away with something when we live and sow according to our flesh. You can't, you can live according to your flesh. You can live sexually immoral. You can live by, I like this word, uh, sensuality, because it means what it says. I can live just by my senses. I can live and make my decisions to just do based on what I think will feel good, look good, smell good, taste good. I can live that way. Just what my flesh wants. I can be a fighter and a biter and ambitious and try to defeat others to raise myself up. I can live that way. And Paul says you should expect the maggots anytime. You're not getting away with anything, oh Christian. You're letting the rot seep in to your life. But Paul motivates us positively too. Because Paul says, 
reap, sowing and reaping isn't just negative, it's also positive. Whoever sows to please the Spirit. What does that look like? Paul told us a chapter ago, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. If that's what's being sown in our life, Paul says, you will reap from the Spirit eternal life. That is not Paul saying how well you do stuff determines whether you have eternal life. He just says you are planting what will be harvested there. But not just there. We can get it right now today. It is generally true. The more good we sow, the better we will have it here in some way or another. This is not the prosperity gospel. Hang with me here. This is not me telling you if you are good, God will bless you in the ways you desire to be blessed. But it is God saying, you sow to the Holy Spirit, let him be in charge. It will always, always, always have been worth it. Which is why Paul continues in verse 9 to say, so. Let's not grow weary doing good. For in due time or in due season, we will reap like a harvest. If we don't lose heart, if we don't quit, if we keep doing what God says is good, not because he will love me better, not because how I do determines whether he lets me in one day, but because he told us what's good and I believe him. Because doing, write this down, because doing good is better than doing what's not good. <laughs> and God gets to, gets to define what good is, what it means. So this is Paul begging his friends. I want to beg us, don't quit. Don't quit doing what's right and doing what's good. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. I know it can feel lonely, isolating. It can even feel like it, it doesn't work. There's a major source of motivation here. This is God's promise. Don't quit doing good. Why? Because at some point, it will be worth it. God's not a fool. Sowing and reaping is still legitimate. It will be worth it. But I love that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses an agricultural illustration here. It's sowing and reaping. Because we know a thing or two about planting and harvesting around here, right? And if we know anything about growing stuff, it is this. A good crop takes time. We have to wait. You know this. Which grows more quickly, sand burrs or tomatoes? Soybeans or milkweed, right? Corn or kosher? Which, which grows faster? 
Listen, the flesh always offers this very quick crop, right? A quick bit of adrenaline, a quick bit of pleasure, a quick bit of satisfaction. When I tell that person what I've always wanted to, right? It's quick, but it's always a weed. The Spirit, the Spirit is the one who offers true crops with a true harvest. Can that often feel slow before you see some of that? Yes, but good crops always do. It's why we, we've spent the last six, we've six months growing corn around here when we could have a, a decent crop of ragweed in like five weeks. Why not just grow mare's tail and ragweed? It grows a lot faster and a lot better and a lot easier. You know why? Because that stuff is worthless at best and harmful at worst. That's why we don't sow to our flesh. It's quick. There's results. But it's worthless at best. Harmful at worst. And it lets the death and the rot seep in, seep in to your life. This is, this is a great place to just remind ourselves to tell your own heart, don't quit doing what's right and what's good. If this will be worth it. This is super, this is a super long season crop the Lord is planting in us here. Think of how long it sometimes takes us. And I know some of you can see results quicker than others. Right? Some of you, it's short season corn. I don't even know what that means, but I've heard you guys talk about it. Others are like, it's like planting a peach pit and covering it up. How long do you have to wait between when you plant the peach seed and you have a tree that's producing peaches? Sometimes it's slower than others, but that's real. Don't quit. Don't quit. This is eternity we're talking about here. Sometimes I have to remind myself, Maxwell, would you rather have something that you think would feel good temporarily or something that God says is going to be perfect for all of eternity? That's what we're talking about. So don't quit. I know it sometimes feels like, yeah, but if, but if I live by that fruit of the Spirit list, it will not get the results. I cannot do that in my situation. I have got to do this other thing. That will not work. The Holy Spirit of God tells you it's the only thing that will work for what your heart actually desires and longs for. I know what your heart wants. It wants contentment. It wants peace. It wants wholeness. It wants to be loved. It wants to be significant. God is where that comes from. We cannot sow to our flesh and harvest from God. 
Paul says, don't be deceived. God's not a sucker. So then, or therefore, Paul says, while we still have opportunity, let's do good to the people who are nice to you and deserve it. Is that what he says? Let us do good to who? How many people? All people. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The closer they get to us, the more good we should be doing. There's a, there's a time sensitivity thing here. Something else we know about growing crops, that you only have so much time to plant. Right? After a while, it's too late. You can't plant because you lost your hail insurance. We know how that turns out. You only have so much time to plant. A time is coming for you and for me where we will be unable to do any more good in this life. This happens in more ways than one. How many of you are dealing with some frustration that you can't do all the good things you used to be able to do just physically? Anybody? So while we have time, Paul says, let's do some good. Let's plant some encouragement. Let's sow some evangelism. Let's invest while we can because time is short. And Paul promises we will not regret having done it. I've sat with people who are dying. Nobody has ever regretted the good they have done. Not one person. Paul teaches elsewhere, we will regret. Where we didn't do what we could have. Now let's back up and catch the one verse that we missed before we quit. Galatians 6.6 6 is my favorite verse in the entire book. I, it's why I have it tattooed along the small of my back right here. Because it is one of the verses in Scripture that encourages all of you to pay me a salary. Can I get an amen this morning? Yes. Paul writes, the one who is taught the word, that's you, is to share all good things with the one who teaches him, that's me. Mm, let us just, so let's let that soak in. For no, in all seriousness, what is this verse doing here? The commentators all ask this question. It seems very out of place. When we come to a verse of scripture that seems out of place, here's the mindset we have to get into. It's not out of place. We just haven't figured out why. Because the Holy Spirit inspired this thing. Here's what this is doing here. This is actually a, should be a result of what Paul will teach next. Paul is about to launch into this this idea of, look, don't you want to take this thing seriously? Like, yes, you're saved by faith alone, a free gift of God's grace. Yes, there are, there are a certain ramifications you'll, that you'll never face for your sin, but God's not a sucker. Like, don't you want to do good while you can? Don't you want to be serious about this thing? Well, if the answer is yes, Paul says, you should, 
you should get somebody and take care of them so that person can be free to teach you how to do it well. That's what this is doing here. That's what I'm doing here. That's why this is my main job. I would tell you this doesn't go just for me. When's the last time you really think your kid's Sunday school teacher? Is that just babysitting or are they, are they teaching the word to the most precious resource you have? What do we do for, for people who, who teach us the word in song? This is so much more than Paul saying, make sure you pay the preacher. Though he is saying that. Are we clear on that? Are we... This is Paul saying, be so devoted to this life that you want someone to tell you what you need to hear, even if it's not what you would like to hear. Have someone in your life who will help you understand how to invest the only life you got. This paragraph is a good reminder that we should not be deceived. God is not mocked. God is not going to get hoodwinked, exploited, taken advantage of. One reason we know that's true is that the, the, the concept of reaping and sowing is still alive and well. I know we can think of things we think are exceptions. We just don't know that whole story. This is not me promising you that if you behave better, God will give you more money and he'll make sure that you are not sick. Please don't think that's what I'm saying. That stuff makes, that stuff makes me sick. But this is God promising. It will be worth it. And it can be worth it in your own heart. Like today, this week. You can begin to feel the positive ramifications of sowing to the Spirit. You will feel that even if your financial troubles don't turn around and your health doesn't improve. This paragraph is why it is only a fool believes. Like in my situation, I have to act in my flesh or I won't get the results I want. My business, my marriage, my friendships, my profession, it, it won't work out that way. Work out that way for what? It is so foolish to think my life will be worse if I do it God's way. Only a fool believes that. And I have been that fool. But listen, sowing to the Spirit, being a man or a woman that grows love and joy peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control, that is an encourager, that is a blesser. That will begin to give your heart, even down here, what it really desires. It will. 
That's why Stephen, the church's first martyr, controlled by the Holy Spirit, when he was being stoned to death, he had such peace in his heart, he could look at the men throwing the rocks at him that were killing him and say, oh God, would you forgive them? They don't know what kind of mistake they're making. Can you pursue them, God? That's peace. It's the peace that let Paul write when he was in a Roman prison, write to the Philippians and say, I know I can do this prison sentence. I can do my eventual execution. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So Christian, don't quit doing what's good. You can't have the best of both worlds if the best of this world includes what the Bible says is unwise, is the broad path, is the path that leads to destruction. Just because your soul may be saved doesn't mean tomorrow will be saved from the destruction that comes from thinking, I don't have to reap what I have sown. Don't quit, O Christian. It will be worth it. You have God's promise of that. Let's pray. O God, I stand before you as a certified grace abuser. And I stand before a room filled with them. God, would you burn into our hearts this morning first that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and by a free gift that you have given. But then will you burn into our minds and into our character that God cannot be mocked, that we will reap what we have sown, that sowing to our flesh will always lead to regret and rot, and sowing to the Spirit will always have been worth it because you are fair and you know the way this works best. This is a simple message, but one that we need. So help us hang on to it while we leave this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with our musicians. Let's finish our time together.